morning, church family, and, uh, and happy Mother's Day. I see, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge Diane. She's days away from having her baby. I mean, she's up here. This is what I'm, we're, that's what we're talking about, commitment. Karen, I know you're proud of your mom up here singing her heart out and worshiping the Lord. So thank you, Diane, and all the mothers. We love our mothers. I mean, we, we, none of us have perfect mothers, but we love and appreciate our mothers. We would not be here without our mothers. We understand this. We appreciate the mothers who are committed to raising their children, helping raise their children to love Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I have a special, um, just a special um, thought and special place in my heart for single mothers. And a lot of the, lot of the players that I had a chance to coach came from single-parent homes, and oftentimes the mothers were there. It's tough. It is tough. And, and these players would very, revere their mothers for all the hard work and the sacrifices that they put forward to taking care of them. They knew they had two, three jobs going on at one time to allow the children to grow up. And so we want to recognize and appreciate the single moms of our church. We really appreciate you just being faithful to your call. What, what greater calling there is? It's a, such a high calling to be a mother. So let's pray. Let's just ask the Lord to bless our moms here and, and to bless our sermon today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are so good. Lord, we thank you for our mothers that you've given us. Although not perfect, we are grateful for them. They have been here for us. Without them, we would not be here. So we thank you for our mothers, Lord. And I pray that the mothers here feel honored today, feel blessed today, encouraged today. Father God, I pray for the struggles that take, take, come on as being a mother. Hard things, tiresome things, newborns, older children. There's challenges at all season, every turn. Just because they live out, they don't live in a home anymore doesn't mean they stop being their children, Lord. So, Father God, I pray for encouragement for the mothers here, Lord. And, Lord, I just thank you for it. As I think to Scripture, I, I can't help but think of a Lois Eunice, mother and grandmother to the Pastor Timothy in the Bible, Lord. I thank you for their in, in, commitment to pouring into truth into Timothy so that he could grow up to become a godly man, to be a man of God, preaching God's word. So, Father, I also pray for the spiritual mothers in here who may not have biological children, but are spiritual mothers to many. I pray, I thank you for their involvement to raising up spiritual men and women in the life of this church. So, thank you, Father. We love you. We revere these sisters, Lord. We thank you for these sisters. And Father God, I pray, I, I, I pray and I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word that we get to take a look at our first mother, Eve. Although not perfect, we're still thankful for her. God, I just pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and minds to understand what you're saying out of Genesis chapter 3. May we have a deeper insight into who you are, deeper insight into the sin struggle that we all battle with. We are at war, and a lot of the war is raging within all of us between the spirit and the flesh, Lord. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you illuminate our minds to understand what you're saying so that we will love your son more. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we're continuing on with our series called Look to Christ. So this is part two of our nine-week series. All right, we're going to go through May and June in the series called Looking to Christ. And the title of our sermon today is Look to Christ or Self. 
That's the title. Do we look to Christ Jesus or do we look to ourselves? Last week, as Pastor Victor talked about, the, the disciples, the early believers were of one mind because they saw the risen Lord and experienced the risen Lord. The, the, these brothers and sisters were absolutely convicted of their sin and their dire need for Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to go back in time. We're going back into the garden where all, where all this happened. Where before this, everything was perfect. And all of a sudden, boom, sin entered the world and changed absolutely everything. And one of my places that I've taken our children to and, and growing up as well, I used to take field trips as a child. Across the street from USC, there's a natural uh, history museum right there by the Coliseum. And, you know, it kind of gives you the glimpse into the past. You see dinosaur bones, you see ancient artifacts, you see paintings and all kinds of some kind of pet some kind of uh, preserved ancient fish you know I remember these things as children and one of my favorite places to go through in this museum was just seeing all these things it's kind of getting a greater understanding of our past and our history but one of the things my favorite parts or the favorite exhibit in the place is probably the gems and minerals exhibit where there's a bunch of gems and rocks and stuff, but then you go deeper into this exhibit and all of a sudden you enter into a vault and it's pitch dark. And this is where they have the valuable gems and, and, and stones and everything's dark, dark cloth, dark lighting, but then these gems are just shining brilliant, brilliantly. And today we are going to look into the darkness of sin. We're going to look into the wickedness of Satan to contrast the brightness of Christ and to see the goodness of God. This is why we're going to take a deep look into it. This is kind of a dark sermon today. We have to look at the darkness of sin, how this all started to understand. We're going to understand things more. We're going to appreciate Christ more through this. Okay? So we're going back in time. We're going back into the garden. So we're going to be at a Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. Just seven verses. It's so loaded. I mean, I had to cut out stuff. It's too much for the sermon. But just a little bit of context as you're turning there. I hope you have your Bibles and you're able to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made. He created everything in six literal days. And this is what he declared. It was very good. Everything was perfect. God declared everything to be perfect. Perfect living conditions. Perfect marriage between Adam and Eve. Perfect fellowship with God. They're experiencing God in a face-to-face -face relationship. And then he gave them freedom. In God, there's freedom. There's incredible freedom. You could do anything you want in the garden. You could eat every, everything you want. You could do anything you want. However, just one tree you're not supposed to eat of. All right, in, in Genesis uh, 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, freedom in Christ, freedom in the Lord. Verse 17, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. All right, this is one prohibition God gave. So let's read this with this context in mind. Genesis 3, everything changes after this moment here. So let's rise as we read God's word together. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. Verse 5, For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. You will be like God, Satan says, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband, to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, finishing up, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, shame, and they sewed fig leaves hiding together and made themselves loin coverings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you had Moses pen this so that we understand more and more what happened in the beginning and that you had a plan from the very beginning to get us back. Help us to treasure your son more through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Verse 1 the very first word in the NASB Bible says, now. This is basically a massive transition, a colossal transition from perfect to corrupt, from clean to defiled, from pure to unholy. Now, there's a 180 degree change of direction in, in, in human history now. Something massive just took place. At a, is, is something going to happen in chapter 3, verse 1? Now, it says, all right, from perfection to destruction, from perfect marriage to a tainted marriage filled with distrust. Just a little side note. Anytime you're dealing with compromisers, there will be distrust. Because you don't know where they're gonna, if they're going to be faithful or not. So there's immediate distrust between Adam and Eve. All right, this, this, this trust has been broken. And then fellowship with God is broken. This is a 180 degree difference now. Bam, something massive just took place. The, let's go to verse one. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is Satan. Satan indwells a snake, a reptile, perhaps a dragon in the Garden of Eden. And Satan is referred to as the serpent or the great dragon in the Bible, in Corinthians and Revelations. And this is the Bible says so he's crafty, he's deceitful. Satan's known as the deceiver, the father of lies. All right, he's shrewd, he's cunning, and he deals with half-truths. You're going to see some half-truths, which he tells Eve, and this is how he deals with us today. He's crafty, and how is he crafty? Look what he says in, verse, uh, at the, in the middle of verse 1 here. All right? And he said to the woman, how is he crafty? He had, he's no respecter of God's order. All right? In the garden. God is king, and he set man to take care of the garden. And he set Eve, the woman, to be his helpmate and to take care of the beast. In this corrupted order, Satan places the beast at the top, speaks to the women, usurps the man's authority, puts Adam next to listen to, the, to Eve, and then puts God at the bottom. This is how Satan operates. This is how he's crafty. And he should have gone to Adam. He didn't. He knew exactly what he's doing. And what is Satan's strategy that he employs? It's very important that we dig through these scriptures because he uses the same exact thing today. 
We go back in time to understand what happened in the beginning, in the garden, and we're able to pull out these principles, these timeless truths for us to understand how to combat this war that we're fighting right now. Okay? Verse 1, the second part of verse 1. Satan says to the woman, Indeed, dripping, absolutely dripping with cunningness, dripping with deceit, dripping with half-truths. Indeed, has God said, he says to the woman, this is, what it is. this is absolutely sneaky. Did God say? And he even misquotes God, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Is God that prohibitive? Is being a Christian that confining and there's no fun being a Christian? Satan's saying, any tree. Right? He, he never, God never said that. He just said just one tree. See how Satan is corrupting God's word right now? So strategy number one by Satan is he attacks God's word. He attacks God's word. Has God said? All right? Does the Bible really say this? Can you really trust the Bible that's in your hand right now? Is that just, is, isn't that just more of a cultural thing back then? It doesn't relate to us today. Has God said Satan says from the very beginning to Eve, has God said? Isn't this Bible just absolutely ancient? I mean, we're, we're more educated today. We're more sophisticated today. We, we know science. Right? We know more. We don't have to rely on some ancient book. Is the Bible even relevant for us today? Has God said? Can you just see how just Satan is slithering his way to attack God's people right now? Has God said? I mean, for example, do you actually believe in a literal six-day creation? Bible says that there was evening and morning. Do you believe in, in, in marriage made for a man and a woman? Or is that just back then? We're just old-fashioned back then. Do you believe that Christ Jesus is the one and only way to salvation? Or is there other ways? Nah, that's so narrow-minded. You know, God's more loving than that. It's, it's more wider than that. Has God said? Right? This, this attacks all areas of truth. Has God said? These are the things that Satan does. It's so clear. And what is Eve's response in verse 2 and 3? The woman said to the serpent, he should not, she should not have been speaking to the serpent, first of all. She should have turned to the man, and the man should have grabbed the rock and destroyed that snake right there, okay? That's what should have happened. But she goes on with this. She goes on with this. And instead of defending God, she kind of entertains this conversation. I mean, this thing is just dripping with just accusations of God's character. Has God said that you can't eat from anything? What kind of God do you worship? But what was the response? From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Okay, Truth. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Mostly true what Eve says. God never said you can't touch it. All right, so there's, there's, there's latitude Eve gives right here. Bible says you're not to add or to subtract from the word of God. Let's be precise in what God's word says, all right? Let's not leave room for any extra words or, or subtraction of words what God says. Let's be clear what he's saying. There is no room for modification. And then, and then Satan swiftly, his second strategy shows up right away. All right, maybe I leave a seed of doubt. Maybe that didn't work quite as well. Let's go to strategy number two. 
Let's question God's integrity. Let's attack God's integrity here. Verse 4, what does Satan say? The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. You're not going to die. You'll be fine. God lied to you. You're not going to die. And remember what I talked about. Satan is absolutely a deceiver. He deals with half-truths. And true, when Adam and Eve took that first bite of the forbidden fruit, they didn't just fall over like it's cyanide and just die all of a sudden. They, the Bible says Adam died 930, at the age of 930 years. But they began to die right there. They're spiritually dead at that point. They're spiritually dead at that point. Let me, let me read uh, Romans 5, 12. Uh, Okay, you know, I'll, I'll read it for us. And this is basically the human race was infected by the spiritual AIDS virus called sin in that moment. Therefore, just as through one man sinned, Adam, entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all men, women, and children, because all sinned. Right in this moment, boom, this human race, our human race was infected by this spiritual virus called sin and started killing us and have left us dead spiritually. And so the, Satan deals with half-truths here, all right? Eve, Eve hasn't eaten the fruit yet. All right, strategy number three by Satan. He attacks God's motives. Let's look at verse five, the first part. For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened all right, so Satan, let's kind of connect the two verses here. Surely you won't die. God's lying to you. You're not going to die. Trust me. It's because he's telling you this because he's jealous of you. He's holding you back. He doesn't want you to be fully happy. He doesn't want you to rival him. Think about how, how sick this is. Satan is pulling out all the punches he calls God, he questions God's word. He calls God a liar. You can't trust his integrity. And not only that, you can't trust his motives. The assault is on, on God's character, and Eve is listening to all of this right now. For God knows God doesn't want what's best for you. And it's interesting, as I studied into the life of Satan and, and his origins and all this stuff, many of us know, may know he, was, he started off as an angel called Lucifer. And, I just, and, and, and there's an account here that we're going to go back to. We're going to go into Satan's history so we understand. Satan is basically projecting his own dysfunctions unto God. All right, so let's go to, I'm going to open up to uh, Isaiah chapter 14 here. Isaiah, middle of the Bible, past uh, Proverbs past Songs of Solomon, and then prophetic book, Isaiah 14. All right, this gives us an account, a glimpse into what happened in heaven, where Lucifer, called the morning star, this is Satan's history, fell and was kicked out of heaven. And Lucifer is, is I, I was searching for the word Lucifer. Where did I hear that name? I, I, I grew up knowing that name, and I said, well, it's, I searched all over my NASB, but it's not in there. Lucifer is in the King James Version. All right, the King, uh, King James, the, the, the translator's King James Version, translated verse 12 here when it says morning star into Lucifer. Lucifer means morning star. So let me just read here verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, or morning star, or Lucifer, son of the dawn, 
You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. Why was Lucifer kicked out? Here it is, verse 13 and 14. But you said in your heart, okay, here it is, I will send to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. This is where the gods uh, would, uh, would convene. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I, 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 I. This is Satan speaking in his heart. It's about pride. Satan was all about himself. He wanted to elevate himself. As a matter of fact, he was the one that was jealous of God. So when he accuses God of being jealous of Adam and Eve, who were formed out of dust, mind you, were formed out of dust, or, or, or beginning parents were formed out of dust, Satan is the one with the issue. He's the one that wants to rival God. He's the one that wanted, to, wanted worship that only God deserves. I, 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 I. This is Satan. And then let's, verse 15, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And look, this is an interesting, interesting thing. At the end of times, we're going to look upon Satan and we're going to think this. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the king? Is this the one that caused all the problems from the beginning? We're going to be like, wow, all that happened through this guy? And so Satan, and we'll go back to Genesis 3 here, but Satan is the one that had this unholy ambition from the beginning. This is what, well, how you became from Satan to, I mean, it's from Lucifer to Satan or the devil. He had this unholy ambition. And why did I take us to this? Because we need to understand his heart. We need to understand what makes him tick. We need to understand how he tries to appeal to us. See, in essence, Satan wants us to be like him. That's what he's hoping for. He wants you to be like Satan. This is, this is worship. Whenever you copy anything or, 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 or obey anyone, that's worship. Satan's saying, hey, be like me. All right? So ver, uh, point number four here, Satan's manifesto here. In essence, we talk, we're in a series called Look to Christ. Satan says, look to self. Look to yourself. Genesis 3, 5, second part, says this. And you will be like God. Does that not sound familiar? Ascend above God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is right out of his own heart. This is, he's speaking out of his own heart, Satan is. You will be like God. You can't trust God. God doesn't have his best interest for you. God, you can't trust his integrity. You can't trust God's word, has God said. You need to take Eve and Adam, you need to take matters into your own hands, take the bull by the horns, and secure what's most important. Make sure you take care of yourself. You gotta get yours. Take care of this. God is holding you back. And he says another half-truth, like you will know good and evil. Apart from God, he's saying, saying, hey, you decide what's good and evil. Not God now. You decide, you determine what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. What's good and what's not good. What's fair and what's unfair. God has nothing to do with it. You decide, Adam and Eve, what's right and how you want to live your life. 
When we do that, then we start acting as gods on our own. We are no longer submitted to Christ. So I think to myself, what areas of my life am I acting this way? It may not be a total, like I'm not listening to you, God, but are there any areas of my life, business areas, personal life areas, all right? Anything, entertainment areas, ah, it's okay, no one's getting hurt, I could watch this stuff, it's all right. Is there any areas of life where we're acting as our own gods? Where we actually believe, Satan, yeah, you deserve this. You've been working hard. Things are hard at home. Your spouse is tough on you. Yeah, you, could, you, you deserve to have a little extra fun. You're fine. Do we allow that to enter into our minds and our hearts? I want to give you a story here. When I, I spent 13 years at the University of Southern California, and it didn't take me 13 years to graduate, by the way, but... I, ha- I worked there. I worked there. It took me five years, but just for the record. <laughs> I was three years in junior college. Mount Sac. But um, I there's a lot of ideas that I come across. At that level of education, and even, even in the National Football League, there's all kinds of false teachers that like to flock around people who are popular, people who have money, people who have influence, because they know they could get money and influence from these people. All right? False teachers aren't interested in helping out those who are downtrodden generally. All right? The Bible says in Timothy that these guys have their own motives to doing this. And one of the things that came across to me was like, this is crazy, but I, I, I debated whether I should share this, but I will. So we have our Bible here. This is the Holy Bible, God's Holy Word. And in essence, if I were to sum it up with one sentence, love Jesus Christ. You know, that's it. Love Jesus Christ. You got everything you need in Christ Jesus, all right? But if there is Satan, if he has his own literature, which you bet he does, he got his own music and orchestra and everything too as well. He got his own counterfeits. But if there was a satanic version of the Bible, it would say this, do as thy will. Do whatever you want. This is the sum of the law. This is what you're doing. Love yourself and do as thy will. Whatever you want, you do it. It doesn't necessarily say go murder someone, go rape somebody, go steal. Now, although if those things require you for you to get what you want, go ahead and write and do it. But in general, do what you want. You decide what's good and evil. Just simply do what you want. Never mind God. God doesn't exist. You're the one that controls your destiny. This is a type of thinking that's incredibly prevalent. Young people in college, I don't care if you go to a Christian university, guard yourself from this type of mentality. It's out there. It is absolutely out there. I was bombarded with this thing. Pop culture says things like, it's my life. It, pop culture says things like, I did it my way. I, I, I take pride in that. You did it your way. You didn't do it any else, anybody else's way. You didn't submit to anyone. Pop culture says, it's your thing. Do what you want to do, right? Individuality is a virtue, all right? Independence is a core value. I mean, United States of America, we have independence. We don't submit to a king. We don't even submit to our president. We do whatever we want, right? This is a kind of a scene as a bravado thing where I do whatever I want. Independence. So Satan says, look to yourself, do whatever you want. You know what's best. 
I was reading in a commentary, and this is not a direct quote, but the, the essence of what this commentary is saying is, when our own will ascends above God's will, and it makes God's will irrelevant, not, that, not important, I don't listen to it, we in effect become God's. Are we acting in our own will? And the world says, you have removed, like, like uh, Auntie Mona talked about trust in the Lord. All right? We love that, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The world says, trust in yourself. Gain confidence in your training. Gain confidence in your work ethic. Gain confidence in your morality. Gain confidence in your, the way you think, your mentality, your mindset, your toughness. Your culture, your background, this is where you need to gain your confidence. Gain confidence in yourself. Put trust in yourself. I've always told things like, hey, Rocky, you have the answers within yourself. You don't have to consult God. You don't have, it's all there. God is in you. And I'm thinking, are you talking like the Holy Spirit? No, the different, different idea here. God is in you. You can create whatever you want. Does this sound familiar to you? Or am I just talking crazy to you? Have you guys not heard any of this? I was told, make sure you got to love yourself. You got to love yourself. Make sure you continue to work on your self-esteem. Build up yourself. Build it up by what you do and your associations and how hard you work. Be a good guy. Build that self-esteem up within you. Look to yourself. Satan says, I, 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 pride. This is Satan. This is Satan. This is Satan's manifesto. Look to yourself. Look to yourself. And this is a matter of worship. What's worship? Worship is you worship the one you obey. Bottom line. Who you obey, who you want to copy is the one you worship. All right? And Satan wants to be worshipped. So he's trying to have us act like him. Listen to him. We don't want to be Satan worshipers. We're not. We're worshipers of God. And honestly, let me give you a warning here. Obeying and copying Satan may have some temporary enjoyment. You may get more money. Your business may prosper. And you could say, hey, look at the fruit. I guess it's working. You may, you, following Satan may give you some more pleasure. No one's getting hurt. I guess it's okay. I guess God's good with it. God wants me to be happy, right? So I can leave my spouse and, and join myself with this other person. God wants me to be happy. These are the things that I've heard counseling people in the past, my wife and I, even before becoming a pastor. Sin is enjoyable for a season. I'm sure that piece of fruit tasted really good because if it tasted bad, I don't know if Adam would have eaten it, right? It tasted pretty good. Here, husband, eat this too. I'm sure it tasted pretty good for that moment. You may get some more fame. Your reputation might get helped out by the, uh, the world may like you. But the last point here is this. This is where it all ends here. This whole sermon series is called Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Everything we ever need is in Christ. Satan has lied to us. Satan continues to lie to us. And look at this. Satan accused God of not being true. Has God said? Satan said that God doesn't keep his word. Satan said that God doesn't want what's best for you. Let's just turn to Genesis 3.15. Let's just fast forward uh, a couple verses to 15. This is how much God is good. This is how much God loves you and me. This is prophecy. 
the, the, the scholars or the, the scholars who call this the, the proto-evangelium, like prototype, the first mention of the gospel in the Bible, proto-evangelium. And I, God says, I will put enmity or strife between you, talking to Satan, and the woman, talking to Eve. And between your seed and her seed, who's that seed will come out of Eve someday? That's Jesus Christ. God kept his promise. And what is this Jesus? What is the seed going to do? He, Jesus, shall bruise or crush you on the head, Satan, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Yes, it's going to cost Jesus. He's going to have to go to the cross. He's going to have to suffer mental, physical, spiritual anguish. And he will die. But three days later, he's going to resurrect and prove that he crushed you, Satan. And not only you, Satan, your ideas contained in your head. God loves us so much that he would do this for us. He had a plan from the very beginning to get us back to this Genesis 1:31 perfect. It was very good state. This is where we're headed, brothers and sisters. We're headed back to the garden where we're going to be able to face God face to face and enjoy him forever. This is where we're headed. This is why Jesus came. This is why the early Christians were like struck to the heart, like, oh my goodness, we're going to suffer destruction. We killed the Messiah. This is the one that they've been waiting for. And maybe you're think, sitting here, well, maybe, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I could still take in the worldly ideas and principles of the world, right? Maybe I could have both. Are you th- sitting here thinking that right now? I could manage my heart. I, I know how to love God, but at the same time, I could take sips and drinks from the world. It, it, well, let me just say this. Looking to self is not compatible with Christ. Absolutely not. In no one clear terms, not compatible The world says, do what you want. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, you decide. Jesus says, follow me. The world says to elevate yourself, promote yourself, increase your branding. Jesus says, humble yourself. The world says, you be the shot caller. You want to be in charge. Jesus says, you be a servant. You're a slave. Diametrically opposed. Which one are you? Make a decision. Be of one mind. Be about about Christ. And you may say, well, Rocky, what's so wrong about this self-esteem? What's up with self-esteem? There's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself. If it's a Christ esteem, we have value because of Christ. That's it. It isn't because of our job, our vocation, our money, our marriage, our kids, any of that stuff. We need Christ. Christ's esteem is what we're talking. This is what it means to look to Christ. We see the black, the, the backdrop of this dark sin, wicked Satan, and then there's brilliant diamond that just shines like we're in that vault right now at the Natural Museum, and see this diamond just shining with all the facets of Christ. That's why we have to talk about the darkness of what God actually saved us from. Jesus is enough, brothers and sisters. Jesus is absolutely sufficient. Remember, at the end of the day, you could be the wealthiest man or woman in the world, the most popular, most powerful, all that. But sin is the issue. Sin will kill you spiritually forever. 
That's the issue. And Christ Jesus sets us free from all that. That's why we look to Christ. That's why we don't look at these other things. It doesn't, it's okay for these good things to describe who we are. I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, I'm a mother, or I'm not a mother. I always wanted to be a mother. These things may be things that may be hard or good things in our lives that may describe us, but they should never define us. Christ Jesus is the one that defines who we are. In no unclear terms, Christ, this is what we're about. And Christ restored everything back to normal. We're going back to the garden. We're going back to that garden state, and that's what we're looking forward to. And we're going to be face-to-face with God someday, and we're going to absolutely love it here. Revelations 22, 4 says this. They, this is Christians here, the church, we will see his face. We're going to be face-to-face with God again. Can you imagine that? We are going to be face-to-face with God again. We're going to be holy, we're going to be glorified, and we're going to be able to stand in the presence of God, and his name will be on their foreheads. Wow. Final word about this is this. When you look to yourself, only leads to destruction. Satan wants you to be destroyed just like him. Remember, he wants you to copy him. He wants you to end up like him as well. If you are a Christian, he could minimize your effectiveness for the kingdom. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We understand this. But if you are tangled up in sin and following after Satan, he will render you ineffective for the kingdom, work of the kingdom. You don't want to be a clay pot taking out garbage. You want to be a useful uh, vessel made of gold and silver, serving up the fine china, serving up the, the meal of the gospel. You want to contribute to the work of the ministry to expand the kingdom of God. If you're ineffective, consider this. What sin is entangling me right now? Repent. Cut free of these things. Looking to Christ leads to life. Amen. This is, this is, this is what this is about. And this way, I, wanted, I, I felt led to take us to the very beginning. We have to understand our origins. We have to understand how this all began and the ugliness of this thing. But it doesn't, doesn't it not make our Lord and Savior that much brighter and more beautiful? This is what this is about. We want to look to the, to the book so we treasure our Lord more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your son, Jesus Christ, as preeminent, as, as sufficient. You are the greatest treasure of all, more valuable than any gem at the museum. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Help us to just be consumed with you. Help us to look to you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.